everyone, and welcome to uh, Dungeon Master Discussions. I'm your host, Zach. Today is my birthday, as you guys can see down below, and I'm doing a Q&A today. Uh, today has already been a bit wild. Uh, I woke up hungover, and I've rested, recovered, and I've eaten, drinking some water, and I'm, I'm ready, to, ready to start my 24th birthday celebration once again. So, cheers, everyone. Thank you for coming out. So normally here on Dungeon Master Discussions, I'll have a guest uh, with me in this other shield, and we'll talk about their different, their either favorite topic or their most knowledgeable subject. And we'll, I really try and dive deep into other Dungeon Master's mind, because I find when you, when somebody tells you how they do it, you can take bits and pieces of it and bring it back to your game and see how it works. So uh, this is going to be all about my Dungeon Mastering. So without any further ado... You may notice some lag on the camera. Hopefully it's not affecting my voice at all. Uh, that's just due to internet issues. Damn you, Twitch and Rogers. But let's get right into it. So uh, I asked all my players over this week to give me a bunch of different questions. And if you guys have any questions in chat, just put them down below and I'll probably come to them around the end. Um, so as a professional dungeon master, I run three hour sessions. They're about $60 per three hours for four players. And first question is, is three hours your ideal amount of time for a D&D session? If I'm a dungeon master, I'm going to be playing one game a week. Uh, a four, five hour session is not, is not that bad. But I currently am playing in five sessions a week. So having to prep a five hour session would be quite a bit of work uh, between weeks, especially with... Uh, the level of advancement my groups are at like they're they can switch decisions they can find new clues and just just change their pivot on a dime they're they're very smart players so i can't plan a five-hour session because if i plan this they'll do that and then i'll have to improv the end and i, I don't want to improv too much of my session but thank you for that question how often a uh, rough percentage do you make up character names on the spot um there's a secondary part but i would say uh 95 of my npc names are made up on the spot uh any of my players you might realize this now that i say it but all of the npcs that i have have two to three syllable names i don't go lower because i don't want too many like bobs gregs uh george it's just like it doesn't it doesn't sound very impressive they don't sound like an interesting npc elegon Resonon, um, Elisaya. That just sounds more interesting than Mark. So I, I tend to do that, and I try and picture who I am talking about in my head, and I kind of play that like name this person game. So you know when you look at your friend, you're like, you look like a Michael. I, I do that in my head really quickly. So if I have a an old lady who is a a baker who is going around the city selling little um little uh bits of flour and bread and other things. Uh, I want her name to sound nice and a little bit inviting. So we'll go with like uh, an old lady. Old ladies are good to go with like classic old lady names like Margaret, um, Bethanine, something, something light on the tongue. Uh, if you want someone evil, you want something that ends in like a hard, like consonant. Brogdak, Muscon, just something that hits. But yes, and then has any character you introduce with a random name become more important than you intended? 
Yes, all the goddamn time. Uh, every time I will make a character, they are just there to like be in the shop. But I don't want my NPCs just to. F I want them to feel like they have more behind them than just being in the shop. I want my players to think that they do, but really they they don't. They don't. They just run the shop right now. But maybe I'll tell them that they they need help or they're in love or uh, they're really sad or they're angry. I'll, I'll give a, I'll give an emotion to an NPC and then the players might connect with that emotion. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? We're with you. We're we're gonna help you. You're going to be important to us. And it's just like, God damn it! I thought you were just buying swords. Okay. Now we're helping the blacksmith take back a goblin cave so we can. Uh, uh, be happy that his son died and lost a wagon full of iron? Yeah. Yeah, too many times have NPCs become far more important than they need to be. Uh, but you know what? I, I, those actually usually make the best little improv stories. Like, they're, they're, they're the side quests. So, um, continue to do it. And enjoy the NPCs. If you enjoy an NPC and you become connected to it, I as a DM have won. I, I'm doing my job well. Um, if you met every single NPC and you didn't care about them, you're like, ah, I don't care. Ah, you just sell so hard. Ah, you didn't. Then my NPCs wouldn't be interesting. You wouldn't want to interact with them. So I, I like when they become more important than I intend them to be. But damn, can it be a pain? One sometimes. Um, next question: How emotionally invested do you get into your games? Um, I'm very emotionally invested. Um, I. I, I like to describe it as when I am a dungeon master, I am the biggest fan of this story that we are telling together. I love your characters. I really want them to succeed and, and be strong. But in a good story, like, like if you in a good story, you don't just win. You don't just, oh, I want this. Oh, here you go. You got it. That's a it's a boring story. So I want to. I want you to be successful, but I want to grind. I want you to grind to get it. I want you to grind to be successful because that success is going to be so much better for both you and me. Because just like you're a fan of your characters, I'm a fan of your characters. I I, I want to see them do well. Uh, I also want to see what might happen. Who knows? Just try something, give it to your character, and just see what happens. Sometimes that's just fun for me to do as a dungeon master. Um. Can being a DM be draining at all? And if so, how do you deal with fatigue? It definitely can be draining. Um, hmm. I find it's definitely an interesting type of draining. After you're done being a dungeon master, after you're done running a three hour or longer session, you've really used your brain muscles and th that really is exhausting. You're really firing it off at all cylinders uh, while DMing. So when you're done DMing, you often just want to relax. Um, that's why I love after game chat. And I find that is a gr great way to relieve that fatigue is we get into after game chat and you guys as players just talk, ask me questions, t tell me things that you liked, you didn't like, like, it's just so nice and relaxing because then after all the fatigue of doing all this hard work, I realize I get to see that it was well received. The people are uh, reacting to it well. And to be honest, as a DM, sometimes you're not sure if you're doing well. You're really not. You're, you're, you're out there and you're like, no one's giving me negative feedback. 
everyone always gives me positive feedback, but what if? What if they're just being nice? So that after game speak is a great way to kind of relieve a little bit of that fatigue. Um, some DMs like to be players. Uh, I don't enjoy being a player myself. It's not, uh, there's not enough going on for me. I'm very ADHD. So when there's not enough going on, I just kind of sit there and I'm like, I try and be in the background. I don't want to like take over people's games. But another good way, um, I actually haven't taken a break. So I've been a professional dungeon master doing four games a week since September of 2020. So I haven't had a week off in all that time. And there's been games that are missed here and there. And I think taking a week or two off is going to be an important thing in my career. I think in the next few months, I'm going to have to look into taking a week or two off because I love these campaigns. I don't want them to stop, but you, you use your creativity for so long and it begins to run low, kind of like an artist. And you need that time to bring all that creativity back. I'm going to just spend two weeks binging anime and books. I'm going to be just, I'm going to lock myself up with some friends, put on Crunchyroll and just open a novel. And I'm just going to let creativity flood my brain. But after that two weeks, I come back and I'm ready to use all these ideas that I got. I got this idea from this. I got this idea from this. I, this MPC was great. Oh my God. Yes. Like it's a, it's a, it's going to be a fun two weeks, but I'm not excited to have to eventually do it because I want to play D&D with my players, guys. Like I said, I'm emotionally invested in these games. I want, I want to see you guys play. Um, what's, that, what's something that you as a DM wish more people who play D&D knew about? Um, storytelling. Storytelling and character building. Um, we we often um, come in when when player new players old players uh, it's not everybody but I find a good majority of DD players play their character but they don't look to grow that character they don't they'll go through a horrific battle and they'll just be like okay I, I loot the body like there's no there's no like hit there they're not like huh what what is just going on they're not like holding their weapon and being like seeing the blood across the blade and ah like 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 they're not having a, an effect and like they're not letting things that are happening in the world affect them because they know it's a game so they know it doesn't matter but we have to realize as a player is to your character those things matter like that's real life to them like if you lose a hand it's not just like a oh no guys i really need my hand like it's a i lost my hand Ah! Like it's it like you have these things affect your characters like more because that'll allow you to have that character growth. I have uh, one campaign with a few very emotional characters. Hey guys, and they all have had such wonderful character growth. They've all adapted. They've all changed slightly. They they they're no longer the characters they came into the campaign with. If if they met who their characters were at the beginning, I don't think they would like them and vice versa. <laughs> I don't think the, they would like each other. So it, it's let things affect your character. Don't just be like that strong, like this doesn't affect me. Like a battle affects you. Losing an NPC affects you. Um, let, let, it, let it hurt more and let your character express that hurt. And you can express hurt in so many ways 
just like real life. You can express hurt by hurting others. You can express hurt by hurting yourself. You can express hurt by uh, being sad, getting addicted to the, like there's so many ways you can handle hurt. You can handle hurt by going out there and working really hard and never giving up again so that it doesn't happen. Like you can express hurt in a million different ways. So let your characters be hurt. Let me hurt them. <laughs> uh, an all-time favorite moment or top three from your games that you'll never forget. God, I've played so many. Um, I, yes, you know what, I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you three from my three long-standing campaigns right now. Um, <clears throat> one that happened in my Tides of Chaos campaign. Um, I planned my first ever kidnapping. So essentially, they were going up an elevator, and I had these uh, two gold elves come inside, and as soon as they uh, got in, they grabbed one of the players and just, like, sneak attacked him. And as soon as two rounds, or one round went by, they got off on the next floor. So they pull them out, and then when the round ends, door closes. Uh... Thankfully, the players were able to get out of the elevator, one of them holding it open. And they chased down these two players that got... They were chasing these assassins that were trying to kidnap them. <laughs> and while they were chasing them, trying to catch them, the assassins knocked them unconscious and kidnapped them. It was great. I loved it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, so, uh, each assassin has one of them grabbed on. And they're set. They're in a high-rise, like gold elven magical tower. It's like a thousand feet tall. So they're at the seven hundred and fifty foot level, the eighty-six floor. Um, and these gold elves smash the window, and they, with the characters, jump out, falling the five hundred feet right away. And they had grappling uh, guns on them because they're they're spy assassins. Why not? But one of my players, I didn't. He just got the ensnaring vine tattoo from Tasha's. And he was, he just looked at me. He just said, I, ju I jump out after them. He didn't tell me any plan. He just said, I jump out after them. And so, so in my brain, I didn't think about the ensnaring tattoo. I just thought he was just, he was just hoping. Um, and I thought he was going to splat because I wasn't going to let any of them live a 750 foot fall. I know it maxes out at 20 D6, but not, no, no. So he jumps out and he uses an ensnaring tattoo to grapple one of the um, uh, kidnappers and this kidnapper had one of the player characters in his hands and so what that meant is that he could since he's grappled he can't get to his grappling gun which means that he can't stop falling <laughs> so i thought for a good like 20 seconds that not only had this player jumped out the window killing himself but now he had accidentally Killed another player by <laughs> crafting an enemy. Luckily, I gave him a deck save and he rolled really well. And so he was able to ensnare the side of the building as well with his tattoo, saving one of the players. That was like, that was one of my, uh, that was a good uh, moment. Tides of Chaos has a lot of good moments. Every campaign has a lot of good moments. As soon as I start talking about one, they, they all start coming to my brain. I'm like, oh, that was better. Um, Curse of Philip. Uh, it's you guys already know it all by now. It's a heavily modified Curse of Strahd campaign. I have no point of lying to you. Um, so uh, they uh, took oh, what's her name? Uh, they, they took Strahd's love, who, who's now Philip. They took Philip's love, 
and brought him right to Philip. And they were like, Strahd, please keep, keep them safe. Keep them safe. And Strahd was like, hell yeah, <laughs> got you, dog. <laughs> he took them and he, he didn't just like turn into a vampire spawn right away. He let the players come back for another meal. They ate, they seen the person and they left again. And then when they came back, he was a vam uh, vampire spawn. And I was, oh, I just, I can't believe they left two of the most important NPCs like with the big bad evil guy. And so that was extremely entertaining. I felt really bad taking both those NPCs from the group because like I said, I, 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 so I want the group to succeed. But when the group does things that don't help them succeed, they, they gotta fail. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, then we have Fate Holds No Power. That, these guys are a crazy group. They um, are always thinking and looking into books and trying to find the best way to, not power game essentially, but play the game as optimally as possible. And I don't mind this myself. I don't think... I believe in a rule that no player can break my game unless I allow you to break my game. I have ultimate power. You can't break my campaigns. Good luck. Oh, no. Why did I say that? Ah. Anyways, <laughs> Fate Holds No Power. Um, what's a good one they did? Oh, yes. So they seen this. They were heading to a, a hidden gnomish village as they're working with some gnomish masters to learn all the gnome secrets that they're hiding in this realm that they're on. And when they're heading to this city that they just got put onto their, their little map, they seen this house that there's a, like a, little, a little nice kind of country cottage house with a garden out in front. And they seen that the smoke coming from the chimney was kind of billowing out, creating a, um, a cylinder? I don't know. A, an upside down bowl. <laughs> and they decided that they really wanted to go inside and see what was in there so they dug underneath and introduced himself to this old man who was confused why he was there didn't really have much going on up here and they just said well we dug a hole over there so don't worry about it so they left I think they filled their hole actually but um, they were being watched, and because they were being watched, they taught another bad guy that he could just dig underneath. He had never thought that you could just dig underneath. Like, he, he really thought that it was a full circ or, uh, circle, but no, no, it wasn't. It was just a dome. And so he uh, digs in, and he frees the guy, because this guy, he had put in a... They modified his memory, so he couldn't remember, but he's essentially a very senile and dangerous uh wizard who can cast an insane variety of spells and since he's gone senile and a bit crazy they locked him in but and i was hoping to leave him there for a long ass time but since i had the the druid the bad guy following the group and then they seen the group do this i was like well why wouldn't he why wouldn't he i already knew that he was following them i was rolling stealth checks for him um so He's got to use this to his advantage, and he did. And so, old dude comes into town, just walking up, and you see, and they're just like, "Oh, there's the old dude. Hey, man, how'd you get out?" And then all the villagers are freaking out. Gnomes are running everywhere. They're going from like happy, skipping around to, "Oh fuck!" And they're just 
booking it into their houses. They're just getting out of there. And then the players are like, oh, guys, it's just, it's just, and then the moonbeam. Yeah. So <laughs> it was good. They cleared out a few houses, got some people safe, but that was one of the more interesting moments that they didn't know was an interesting moment. And I, they have so many better stories. I just can't think of them on the top of my head. I really just can't. Um, how does DMing online compare to DMing in person? Ugh, it's easier and more difficult. It is easier for the fact that I don't need to leave my house. I just, I guess if I had people come over, that would solve that issue as well. But uh, previously, when I do in-person D&D, I was going places, I was going to people's houses, I was going to stores, going to um, events. I was always leaving and having to go places. Um, you don't have to prepare as much. I love using terrain. I love using terrain. We have so much here at Nerdy Northerners. Uh, check out uh, uh, Crafter's Corner on Wednesday. And I love using it. But with online, I don't need it. Um, I don't use Roll20 because I find with the non-infinite amount of maps, I'm going to have to plan every single map out in advance and that I'm not, I'm not doing it so i use theater of the mind on discord and so it's definitely less prep and i can spend more time on story and encounters and stuff like that i don't have to worry about drawing or maps or uh putting terrain pieces together to make it look cool i get to spend more time on the story which has been nice i've been definitely enjoying it however I really like making maps and using terrain, so I'd love to do that as well when I'm in when I'm in person. Like I can I can do things. I can get in your face. I can I can be the evil dragon. I can be the helpless little girl. I can do anything. In person I can be more dramatic. I can have a bit more flair. But when I'm online, I am here on my laptop. <laughs> Looking at you like this. I can do little hand motions, but it's not the same. I can't, I can't run around the table. I can't come up behind you as a person, put my hands on your shoulder and like whisper something in your ear. Like, like that's, that's when you start like getting into people's heads and shit. And I love that. So the fact I can't do that really disappoints me. And I'm excited to get back to that because I'm definitely going to take that full speed. There's no more just standing in one place as a DM. I'm going to be traveling around the table, like just fucking with people when I can. Ugh. I'm excited. I'm excited. And it's coming soon. Everyone stay safe. Don't rush out. It'll come. Um, how do you prep for a session? Uh, it definitely depends on the group and what they did last week. Um, usually what I'll start with is my main points. So in all my campaigns, I have these main plot points that I want to hit. And I decide if I want to hit that plot point in this session, which which plot points do I want to take? So I'll just copy those, paste them right into my notes. That'll be my first, that's my skeleton. And then I have to decide, all right, well, how do I want them to come around to these plot points? Um, as well, I have to think, how do I show them that these plot points are important? How do I show them that these people are important? How do I show them all these things because in storytelling you can have exposition where you tell characters you could have a powerful wizard tell the characters this will kill a million people but if they don't if they don't see it kill a million people 
it's not, it's not, if they don't see like a million graves or something from like last time it was used, like it doesn't, it doesn't hit them. Like it doesn't feel real yet. I have an item like this where I've only used exposition to explain it and I've definitely, um, getting into the campaign, I definitely want to do more show. and I'm interested, I'm very excited for how that's going to go down in the future. Um, so yeah, so it goes plot points, skeleton, uh, how to show those plot points, and then how to show everything else around the plot points. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's generally it, adding characters to, to kind of fill those emotions that I want to set. I also like to write down what emotions I want people to feel at certain points. So if I have them come into this um, shop and I want it to feel scary, I'll, I'll make sure to write something there because when I'm reading the note, I don't have to write what's scary about the shop. I just have to read that I need to make the shop scary. So I begin uh, doing things that feel scary. I just, I try and I begin scary. Or if I go into a shop and I want them to feel very comfortable with the shopkeeper, I want them to like this person. I will be a bit more generous, a bit more happy, a bit more welcoming, not saying anything suspicious, just asking general things, not wanting to know too much, but offering any information freely. Like it's, it's just all about the emotion I want to come across. Um, what do I do to unwind after a session? Uh, I actually write a little bit of pregame notes for the next week. Uh, I decide what the major plot points I want to hit for next week usually are. Because then throughout the week, I can kind of play it out as a story in my head on how I think it's going to go. So that when I actually do sit down to prep, I kind of already have a story in my head. Um, and then after that, I'll usually... Uh, have a toke, go to sleep, relax, uh, watch YouTube. YouTube is a great, um, great uh, kind of relaxation for me. I really just love sitting there and mindlessly taking in entertainment. I'm like, yes, entertain me. It's only like 20 minutes long, so it doesn't even matter. There's not like a series I got to watch. It's not, it's not even a show. Um, but that's always a, that's always a good way to relax. It's just mindless entertainment. <laughs> How do you mitigate player chaos in character? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Um, this is something that I've been experiencing in one of my campaigns where one of my characters is an extreme man of chaos. Uh, he has not met an NPC. He has not threatened to kill. And he has not known an NPC longer than a few days and not attempted to kill them once. <laughs> so what do you do about that as a dm what do you do how do you how do you mitigate how do you slow that down uh what i did is you, you gotta test that player you're gonna try different npcs because maybe your npcs annoy that person's character maybe they have an in character reason for being this aggressive way and if they do, then I find it's acceptable. I find chaos is acceptable if it's in character. Um, however, not in certain campaigns, not with certain groups, and uh, not if you don't have an in-character reason for it. Um, if you are just doing the, well, my character would do it, 
Well, I want you to explain, explain deeply why your character would do it. Like, I, I want to, I want, when your character does something, even if it's fucked up and weird or off the chain, I want to, as a DM, have an inkling of understanding on why you did it. If I read your backstory, if I did a session zero and I've played with you all these weeks, I should understand why your character does something. You might do off the wall things, but if you're always doing off the wall things, then your character really isn't grounded in anything. And that can be an issue. If you're not grounded in anything and you're just being pure chaos out of chaos sake, you're often just slowing down things. Um, when I say not for certain groups, some groups enjoy a bit of chaos. Uh, some groups aren't afraid of in-character conflict. Some groups are, some groups enjoy the drama. It's a bit of tea. It's, it's a whole, uh, actually it's not a little bit of tea, it's a whole fucking two liter of tea. Like, you, you really get some drama in those chaotic campaigns, but you have to want that. Um, you have to be able to facilitate it by experimentation. Um, I have a character who's extremely chaotic, as I said, and what I do is I introduce different NPCs every time they go in somewhere because I know he's going to threaten them. Maybe one of them likes that. Maybe one of them is wanting to die. And so then he, he can kill that person. That person wanted to die. What was wrong with it? But then he, gets, he has to think. He, like, that, like I said earlier, that should be something to his character. That should be a little bit like unnerving. Maybe a little bit weird. Maybe fucking awesome. Maybe you need to find more of these people and like that'll calm down your bloodlust. Um, but uh, I have... I introduced a love interest to my character, and um, he did the exact opposite of what I thought he would do. Every time I have this character come around, uh, she is this very strong female. She's, don't hate me. I made Esmeralda a bit of a bitch. Uh, she's a really cool character, but I wanted her to be very like strong, and I needed a character to experiment with, with my, my player, so she just happened to be there, so I used her. Hope you don't mind. Hope you didn't love that character. So I made her that she just wants to lay this man. She has she has seen him kill dozens of guards, the burger master, and just be told to walk away because he's that badass. So she just she just wants to kill the bad guy, work with him, and in layman's terms, fuck him. Uh, and he hates this. He runs away the second I have her come around, and I'll just have her come out with like one strong line, like. Bring that ass here, Taco. And he's just like, I start sprinting. I start moving. And like, I didn't expect that. And that's why I experiment with those chaotic characters. You also have to tell the chaotic character if they're going out of bounds. Uh, you have to talk with your players if they enjoy the chaos. You can't let chaos, you can't let a campaign be super chaotic and then just be like, all right, guys, bye. No, you gotta be like, was that good? Is everyone chill with that? Like, was that an acceptable level? Like, could I take it a, a step higher? Should I take it a step lower? Like, you want all your players to be enjoying themselves. And the best way to make sure they're all enjoying themselves is talk to them when they're all there. Get their upfront opinion. Sometimes people are gonna be not confident and they'll just go with the group to try not be the, the, uh, the fun killer, but... If you want fun, you gotta stick up for your fun, all right? Players, please always tell us DMs how we can make things better for you because 
We want to make it all fun for everybody. Um, but yes. How to mitigate ca player chaos. Experiment. And make sure you're talking with your group. Oh, this is a good one. Um, why do you think the scary DM trope is so prevalent? We're the bad guys. We're, we're all that is good and bad in the realm. In whatever we play. But you have to remember, we spend most of our times playing as the orcs, the goblins, the assassins. Kings, the corruptors, the evil entities. We spend more time on evil often than good. And I've had friends tell me in this last year, they say, all the characters you've been making recently are very kind of evil. Like, oh, yeah, they are. I just realized that. I think it's because I'm DMing so much. I think, I think when, you, when you have to put your brain in that evil mind space, um, it's interesting. And you definitely, people remember us not for what we did good, but what, for what we did bad. Like, when you remember a campaign, you might say the time that your DM gave you a, a plus two sword or a, a magical repeating crossbow. Like, that's really cool. But you're more often going to say, this motherfucker TPK'd us with five dragons, and then he set off a trap, and um, then he had uh, the, all the tieflings just murder the elves, and it's like, so you just, you, you always remember those bad things that we do. And also as a DM, it keeps you on your toes. Uh, my, I always play the evil DM trope with my players, um, because it's somewhat true. It's somewhat true. I have their lives in my hand. At any moment, get rid of them. Anytime I choose, I could just kill your characters. And so I have that power. I like to play with it. I like to joke about it with it. Like, oh, it would be a, it would be a shame if I, oh, I could. I, oh, I saved them. It's okay. Don't worry. So I, I, you get that power and it's fun to play with it because if the players know that they can't die then why not charge into the 50 ogres and just fight for it why why not we'll be saved something good will happen we'll get just captured we'll be able to escape no no let, let them know that death is real because you have that power and they should know that you have that power um so the evil D dm trope is there or scary dm trope is is because we're scary we are scary. We control the things that you love and care about in our fingertips. And at any moment, we can just be gone with them. We don't, because we care about you, and we want you to have a good time. But isn't it kind of scary to know that at just any moment? <sighs> All the time. It's me. <laughs> um, so yeah, so DMs are scary, and I don't blame you. I'm scared of the DM as well, as a DM. I get into other DMs games, and uh, there's a little bit of fear in my heart. I remember how, how it is to die. It's scary. Um, have you ever, ever had a player leave after their character dies? I have not. Um, I have found that most of my campaigns, um, in the past at least, recently they've been very consistently going. But in the past, they usually fall apart due to scheduling. Um, people get busy when I ran D&D &D in, in college um, just people would get busy with classes 
people wouldn't show up for two, three weeks, and we would just be like, we can't play with only me and you two. I don't really want to do that. Uh, so it tended to fall apart naturally. I've never had anyone react extremely poorly to their character deaths. Um, and what I chalk that up to is giving every character the feeling of a chance to survive. Now, I say the feeling because sometimes they don't deserve the... They've done something so wrong, bad, and they don't deserve the chance to survive. But they do deserve to feel as if they have a chance. Um, and you need to give that to them. You need to let them make saves, even if the save DCs are extremely high. If you have a DC 25 wisdom save or a constitution save or something, do it, do it. And if they get a 19 and they're upset, they're like, how high is this DC? You just gotta be like, bro, this was so deadly. Like, uh, but you, they, you still feel like they could have hit that DC. There was still a chance. It was the dice's fault, not your fault. And that's kind of what you want to make them blame their dice, not you. As the DM, I'm giving you all the chances in the world. It's simply your dice that are failing you, <laughs> not me. So, yeah. Uh, no, but I've never had anyone anyone leave uh, due to player death. And just give them a chance. Make them feel like they have a chance, even if they don't have a chance. I have sometimes asked for saves, and I have no DC in my head, and I just know that whatever they say, unless it's like over 20, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I don't even have a DC in my head. Like normally I'll actually like go DC 21. Give me a wisdom save. Sometimes I'll just be like, eh, if they don't get high, they're fucked. Wisdom save. <laughs> so yeah. Um thoughts on keeping a dead character by adding junior to the name. Uh first off, a little bit lame. A little bit lame. Um you got an infinite amount of characters you can play in this world. Uh, you can have anybody. If you want to take 99% of that character, it, hell, if you want to take that exact same build, just change their name, I find that more appropriate because it's not as... Um, it's not as obvious. Sometimes you just can't be obvious. Um, give me one second here. I just got to grab... A glass of water. One second. Excellent. Hey, guys. <laughs> You're learning lots, Katie. Hey, guys. Hello. Oh, thank you for the Hydrate PX. Thank you, Katie. Oh, it's good to see all you guys today. Um, let's get back into some questions. If you guys have any questions, just leave them in chat and I'll scroll through when I get through these. These are all questions that my players have been asking me, so I'm very interested in what they have to ask me. This is a good one. Are you ever nervous before a session? God damn I am. I have anxiety and I am terrified every fucking hour before a session. I get such bad stress and I'm so worried I'm going to be, I'm not going to be good enough. It's like, yeah, you've, you've paid me to DM for you for like 25 weeks now, but you know what? This is the week I'm gonna fuck it all. This is the week where the story isn't good enough or my NPCs are gonna crap the bed or I'm gonna forget, like, I don't know why. I just get so stressed right before. And then as soon as you guys enter into the call and you say hi, it kind of melts away, kind of relaxes again. But God damn it, is that last half an hour before y'all jump into the call just 
Okay, okay, okay. So, yes, I definitely get nervous before sessions. Uh, when bringing a new player into an established game, how do you prep them? Depends on the campaign. Very much does. Sometimes... So here, here's the thing. Uh, with somebody having more information, they're more in the know, they're more comfortable, they're more relaxed. All right? It's an easier transition into the game. There's not, like, you're not hitting a wall. And that is good for, I would say, most campaigns. But you're running certain types of games, such as horror especially, uh, suspense, anything where the party uh, has to have a little bit of, like, unsuredness about either themselves, where they are, or what's going on. They need a little bit of, like, the fear of the unknown. You need the fear of the unknown. So if you're going to introduce a character to these campaigns, I'd say the less information is better. You, you, you want to obviously give them a rundown on how the, how the campaign plays and uh, what they should expect. But sometimes less information just makes it that much more interesting because they get there and they're like, what's going on? And the player's like, bro, you don't even want to know. And he's like, no, I really want to know. And they're like... All right, so there's this space captain alien dude who's firing rockets from the moon. And he's like, what? Why? Well, well, it was kind of his fault. Wait, what did you do? How'd you get on the moon? Don't, okay, so, yeah, also, just don't eat cakes around here. What? Why not? I love cake. It's just, it's, it's a lot of, it makes that unassuredness in that player. There's a lot of unknowns all of a sudden. There's a lot of um, pitch blackness. And you, you can't see anything in that pitch blackness. So what could be there? Perhaps it's danger. And that's where your brain is going to go to. So sometimes less information is best. But for most campaigns, the more information, the merrier, usually. Um, best way to deal with weirdly specific, totally random questions. Um, there are, there's kind of like a levels. There's levels to this. So one is confidence. This is when someone asks you a very weird question, you're not sure the answer. Just give a confident answer. Just anything. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be good. Just say it with some goddamn confidence. Hey, I want to be able to grab this light, uh, flip it all around, catch it, and throw it through that door. How much HP does that door have? 10. 10 HP. Yeah, they might break through that door in just two seconds. And then you're like, ah, oh, I should have maybe added some more HP to it. But then you just bring that into your... The, it'll just help you with random questions later. The more random questions you answer and make mistakes on, the better you are going to be in the future. The second one is uh, distraction. This is a personal favorite. Um, let me check my notes. Uh, give me one second. Let me see. Ah, uh, there's the note right here. See, I wasn't, I, I didn't have anything prepared, but I gave myself a minute and you guys are all sitting back going, oh, okay, he's, he's just gonna go pull it up. And sometimes I actually am pulling it up. Um, I think you have, to, you have to be honest to lie and to lie, you have to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> so use that more regularly. And then when you get those questions, you can use it again. And I, I'm gonna get called out by my players next time I say I gotta check my notes, I can guarantee it. But don't, don't let up on the lie. You, as soon as they call you out, like, oh, you're using the lie, and you're like, no, no, I'm checking my notes, relax. 
Like, just make it to, like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It just, because then they won't call you out in the future. Usually. Usually. You'll have some people that'll call you out every time. Um. Oh, sorry. And then the third. The third approach. Honesty. Honesty. Just be completely honest with your group. Say, that is a fucking weird question, and I don't know how to handle that. Um, I had a... I had an anti-magical field, and a player used Blink. Blink, if you roll a certain number on the dice at the end of your turn, you go into the ethereal plane. You're technically not on this material plane, and you're not affected by things in the material plane. So he asked me if he could walk through an anti-magical field. And that one really sent me for a loop. Because he's in the ethereal plane, he can't be affected by things in the material plane, but he's passing through an anti-magical magical field. Would that break the spell? But it probably wouldn't because he's in the ethereal plane. So I let him walk through these uh, shields. And there, that was a moment where I had to stop and I had to go, hey guys, I'm not sure about this. Um, I, I could do it. Um, are you sure you want to? And he says yes. And I now have it as canon that uh, these magical shields can be generally walked through if you're in the ethereal plane. Now, probably add some ones that they just add a magical field onto the ethereal plane as well just to cancel that out but for now it, it it's interesting so yes three three different ways to handle those weird specific questions pure confidence just say it and stick with it um uh diversion just gotta check my notes real quick uh one i'm just pulling it up pulling it up that's funny enough i actually wrote that down um three just be honest just tell your players you're not sure and get some feedback from them because you don't want to the reason you're stuck is usually because you don't want to make the wrong decision you don't want to make your players feel bad so ask them get their get their opinions they're of course going to try and put it in their own favor but okay we kind of want to make them happy so why not give it to them in their favor um so yeah that's a very good one um thoughts on mixing and matching ttrpg elements now this question came from one of the players because i had mentioned i wanted to do maybe a one shot where it was DD fifth edition but you added the sanity from call of cthulhu so uh everyone would have a sanity score and essentially as things happen your sanity goes down so earlier in the show i said that i want your characters to feel hurt let things affect them and I think that sanity meter kind of shows people how things are affecting them. So when your sanity goes down, you're going to have a number to look at. Like, I'm not at 80 anymore. I'm at 73. I'm lower. And so you'll, you're, you as a player, hopefully, will react to that a little bit more. It's not like, oh, I get a long rest and I'm back up to 80. Like, no, you're 73 now, forever. And it'll just go down. Like, so it's very interesting. Um, I definitely like it. Uh, Pathfinder 2 has a great critical hit system. If you roll a certain number above AC, it's just an auto crit. And I personally prefer that instead of the, just the 5% chance. Because if you're facing a bunch of like heavily armored knights, um, critting them should be pretty difficult. But if you're facing a bunch of like pigs, like, you should be able to crit hit a pig pretty easy. Just all right. But the, 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 this knight is going to be a lot more difficult, for example. So I like that instead of the 5% chance, uh, they do the 
uh, if you roll higher than the AC, certainly. Um, how do you handle player deaths? Uh, this came from one of my characters inside the Curse of Strahd campaign, because Curse of Strahd, your soul does not escape the fogs, they stay within. So I usually, uh, in that campaign, will handle deaths by having a dark power offer them a gift. Or perhaps their deity come out to their rescue. Um, perhaps they find their soul in a soulless. Uh, there's many ways for character rebirth in Curse of Strahd, but there is no um, official like documentation for the rest of the material realm. So, I definitely always have my characters have a second character ready. Um, they always should have a second character on the ready from session one because that will that will let the player accept that character's death a little bit more they they have something in their pocket they may love this character but they they probably have something they like in their pocket uh they might even begin to like their second character more so having something ready means that they don't have to go in Oh, I had to go make a new character, but I'm just so focused on how much I love this one right now. It's hard to make a new character. So you have that new character already ready, just in case you kill them. Um, often I, I will um, just put to death. Uh, I don't often give many revivifies, but after doing Curse of Strahd, I've definitely found the power in dark gifts and gifts from gods and deities and uh, different vestiges throughout the realm. They can change that character, give it a bit of character growth, as well as allow them to continue the story where they are. It's always a bit of a pain to have to restart the story or add somebody new into the story because then you have to kind of catch them up and it, it can slow down the campaign a little bit. So having everyone brought back, but something a little bit different about them is a very powerful way to keep the campaign and as well, it can add in a whole new god element. Perhaps when these characters finish the campaign that you had in mind, and they want to keep going with these characters. Well, now those dark gifts are going to come back. Because now, those vestiges, they want their, their payment. They've, they, they, they kept you alive. They, they allowed you to survive through this harsh realm, and they will take it away unless you do something for them. There's a, there you go, there's a high-level god campaign, just because you, allowed, you brought them back to life. So I definitely found it useful for uh, both keeping the players right where they are and being able to continue the campaign right away, as well as creating mystery for the future, because often I don't have these dark gifts say, I am god of dark death mystical powers, and if you do this, then I'm going to come back in 20 years. No, often it's a, um, it's a very scary thing. Like, uh, you find yourself in a forest, and you in a clearing, and you see as the, um, all the tall grass around you begins to catch a light, and as you try and run, you see as it, like, the fire traps you in, and you're beginning to run, and all of a sudden you just see this, this, this old woman with, sitting on top of a door. And you're just like, we have to go, we have to go. And she's just like, not unless you're prepared. And you're like, what do you mean? What do you mean prepared? It's like, not unless you're prepared to serve. And then they're like, okay, I don't want to die. And so the old lady will move and open the door. And it's a dream. So like you ever try and punch something in a dream and it just doesn't affect anybody at all. Same thing. 
they can't move the old lady. They can't they can't save themselves unless they accept her offer, which is very limited. There's not a whole lot of actual offer there. There's like, do you want to live or die? And they're like, I want to live, but like, what cost? And they're like, it's a cost. And you're like, but what is it? It's a cost. Do you want to live that bad? Do you want to live for an unknown cost? Because then they come back and they're like, what was the cost? And they might see something on their body and they'll be like, okay, that's the cost. But if they don't see anything on their body, they'll be like, okay, what's the cost? So it, it, it gets in their heads. It can definitely be a good way to keep the campaign going and um, uh, avoid party kills. But you can't do it too much. Um, I had a character kill themselves and I was a little bit thinking that they were just knowing that I wouldn't like officially kill the character. So I had their, I had their God essentially tell them, no, that's your last one. You got one more, you got one more. And then I'm not even going to worry about it. So, um, yeah, there, there, I would say that's definitely my favorite way of taking on player deaths inside and outside of Curse of Shroud now. Um, What's a mistake players often make? Hmm. Hmm. What is that? It's always it's it's very difficult to throw mistakes on the players. Um because there there's this is it, one thing that might be a mistake at this table might be exactly what you should do at this table. And that is the problem about saying, what are some mistakes that players make? It, it's all about your table. Um, you might uh, have a beer and pretzels type game where talking out a character, metagaming, um, looking, uh, looking up rules, I don't know, I just, a bunch of things that you would not do in a role play table. Um, and both games are perfectly acceptable games of D&D. If the players and DM are having a fun time, then they're perfectly valid. For my campaigns, I feel like where this question is going to. Um, they don't often make this. I'm more nervous that they make this, but uh, not giving your true opinion to your dungeon master. Um, your dungeon masters are always looking to improve and they're, they're looking to do new things. And, giving us negative or um, constructive feedback is only going to help us. We're only going to take that and use it to improve our games. Um, I've definitely had it where people will allow, allow something to burn a hole in them until it becomes so annoying. And then it's too annoying for us to fix. Um, if, if you bring up an issue right away, it's often easier to fix. Uh, if you let it, instill in you it's gonna be much more difficult <laughs> I like at least he's dancing behind so i'm gonna go through chat see if you guys had any questions thank you guys for the happy birthday wishes as well hey colin oh yeah oh yeah man they're going to come to collect on you tibby um, what is the thing you look forward to as a dungeon master? I know I'm at my time, Jake. Oh, do you oh. want to just keep going or? Yeah, do you guys want to keep watching here? I'm I'm enjoying myself and we can probably go for another 
safe 10 15 i was i was listening for your cue okay yeah i'll just yell for you guys thank you excellent birthday excellent yeah i'm looking for that answer yes i appreciate it. this is actually a question from you uh what is the thing you look uh forward to as a dungeon master um, I look forward to how you're going to handle the problems. I, like I've said in previous episodes, I don't often create the solutions to the problems I give my players. I want them to figure out an interesting solution, um, or at least a, a, a solution that makes sense. And so I'm very, I'm always excited to write down in my pregame notes a problem that you're going to have. And then during the game, I get a little bit excited. I'm like, okay, I'm about to bring up the problem. I'm about to bring up the problem. And then I bring it up and I'm like, okay. What are you gonna do? And I just I sit back and I watch and I'm I'm just so excited to see what your characters do. Like so I, I love just presenting that problem and you figuring out what solution you'd like to it. Um <laughs> What is the thing you least look forward to as a dungeon master? You know what that's what I I really do kind of love all aspects of being a DM. Like I, I, I do I not? You know what? Um, uh, player com conflict, uh, conflict not between characters but between players. That I hate. I find it sometimes difficult because people can just be hard headed sometimes, and you, you, they just. You want to solve that issue, but you also aren't sure how to solve that issue. Um, what I found the most effective way is put those players into a call and have them talk it out. Just have them talk it out. They're both adults. Tell them, you guys, uh, I really want to keep playing with both of you, but uh, just jump in a call and, and work things out. And if they work things out, great. If they can't work out th things, that's good, but at least it hasn't tainted your game. At least it hasn't made... It's very hard to be a DM knowing two players are fighting and trying to mitigate that while playing the game, but them not wanting to work it out post-game. Uh, I've only had that once in my life. Um, but yeah, that was definitely uh, an interesting experience. So I definitely do not look forward to in-character, or in-player conflict. Not about it. <laughs> uh, looking through how's everyone's friday going by the way i'm very excited to become 24 today yes i'm alive i decided the last night i would drink a little bit and i woke up with the worst hangover of my life and so i was supposed to stream this morning thankfully brian brian and bottles took over and uh i'm very excited to see what he streamed today uh -huh. Oh, no. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, Jurassic Rules. Thank you for the follow. Hey, you know what I'd say? Uh, look online. Um, there are a lot of uh, internet communities where you can find D&D games. And you can find games that are bi-weekly, uh, monthly even. Things that are a little bit less time-inducive. And if... You really want to play and you can't find a group uh you may want to look into a professional dungeon master someone that does it as like a career because they're usually having players around and trying to form groups so they can usually uh take one player that's looking for a game 
And then as they find more players, they can bring them together and see if they'll work. So I definitely say, have a look. There are, there are definitely some D&D games out there. Also, if you want D&D for sure, be a dungeon master. You'll <laughs> you will get D&D if you are a dungeon master. Um, if you made your own tabletop role-playing game, what would the setting be? Um, the setting is... Uh, so, you guys probably don't know, but I run all my games in the nerdy northerners world. Probably will be changed a lot from what it is now, but... Uh, that's what I currently run it in, and we run in a similar to Farron, but a higher magic um, of Farron. There's also more uh, going on with the, the gods and deities in this realm. All of my players will be like, what, really? It's because they're all low level, but once they get up there, they're going to realize that the gods are playing puppets with all of the races and people. So... Um, I think that it would be my favorite setting. A, a Farron with higher magic. I don't think Farron has enough magic. Um, it's a lot of, like, cool cities and stuff, but I want, like, entire cities that are, like, towers that, like, are broken up out of the ground. And I want, like, um, the magical, like, subway line where you just kind of, like, there's, like, this current going through the air and you just step into it. And it, like, brings you to the other side of the city. Just cool shit. Like, automatic sweeping brooms. Just more normalized magic because magic is so cool and interesting you, you can have it do anything with no explanation and uh, just just so cool so I, I want more magic um what do you think the future of D, D is um it's a very interesting thing um D, D is definitely going to come out with some more settings i believe i definitely see I think they've seen how successful some settings are. I don't think. I hmm. Hmm. the thing about D and D is the Wizards of the Coast are very mystical men and women, and they don't tell us all too much about what they have like planned for like the year, two years, three years. So I can't really tell from the direction they're going. They're definitely being more um inclusive looking to kind of bring everybody into the fold of D, which is amazing but i think it's going to be more safer content you're not going to you're not going to find these very dark twisted tales you'll probably have bits and pieces to show D, &D but i i think there's going to be a lot less graphic um themes there's not going to be as many hostile aggressive um demeaning um messages which I, I don't think is a bad thing but to me DD &D is real life but winnable <laughs> so uh i i i think that there needs those harsh themes so that you can overcome those harsh themes i i like you you need to put down the little guy to make the story of the little guy rising better. No offense, but you just, sometimes you just gotta crush a, a person or a group and then let them rise from the ashes like a beautiful phoenix coming out and like just uh, not doing what their oppressors did to them, teaching the world a brand new way of doing things, having that growth. And uh, I think they're, they might be playing it a bit too safe and they might not get that growth out of fear that people will be mad that they were punching a person or group and 
I don't blame him. Make make that money. <laughs> make that money. But if I was to make um modules and one shots as I'm going to be doing in the very near future, they're I want those hard themes so that players come in and it's not like, oh, this is this is a nice D D. Like, no, this is real life. And it has real life consequences. And you can use that as motivation. And so I, ho I hope my characters enjoy that motivation. Um, what's the biggest tip that you got that helped you be a better DM? You know what? On this very show, um, all it was was a different was a phrase, and I got to thank you, Kevin, because you gave me this phrase, and I have it has not left my head since. Um, that is why I have loved doing this show as. Uh, I think I've been able to share with you guys a lot of ideas and other DMs, and they've been able to share ideas with me. But Kevin gave me my favorite thing as a DM, and this stays in my head every chance. Every single thing in your campaign is an opportunity. An opportunity to do something. When your characters do something random, it is not your job as a DM to just get it done and move past it. No, that is an opportunity for you to do something, something interesting. And I think you should be taking as many of these opportunities as you can, because you might have a really cool overarching plot in the three hour game, but if interesting things also don't happen, like as you're playing, people can get their, they can lose your attention. And you wanna be keeping their attention by using opportunity, 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 opportunity. As well, this will teach your care. This will tell your players and teach them subconsciously that if they um, if they do things, uh, opportunities will arise. And as well, this doesn't have to be opportunities to be nice to the players. It can be opportunities to be mean. It can be opportunities to be funny. It can be opportunities to uh, be weird. It, you can just say um, if somebody says, "I want to go look down the back alley," just. Say you see a chicken beating up a cat. Why? Why not? It's just interesting. And then he'll go back and he'll go to the party. He's like, yeah, uh, there's no back door. Also, there was a chicken beating up a cat. And they're like, why does that matter? And it's like, it doesn't. But and then there's like, shut up. It's, it's just a, it's an opportunity. And that player is going to remember that in their head. And later in the campaign, when you have that character go and do something again, Give the chicken a bigger animal to fight. I seen a that there was a chicken beating up a mastiff. A chicken beating up a mastiff. Yeah, just right back there. And then you go back. No, 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 there. And then a chicken beating up a cow. <laughs> and then <laughs> when they're fighting the kraken, just have a chicken just walk out of nowhere, and you'll know that character is gonna stare at that chicken and be like, "Is this the answer? Is this how we beat Cthulhu?" <laughs> and it's just mwah, love you, Brad. Have yourself a wonderful night. Um. But yes, those opportunities can become golden little things. They might just start as a joke. They might just start out as that random chicken fighting a cat. But over the course of the campaign, they can be a huge thing. And it can be so amazing. You guys miss my like chicken versus cat and then chicken versus dog and then chicken versus cow. And then when you're fighting Cthulhu for the final boss, all you hear is pluck, pluck. And you're like, is this the answer? <laughs> See, it's just, an, it's just taking those opportunities and using them at every chance that you get. Um, every time that your characters ask for something, you as a DM have an opportunity to give them an opportunity. So take it. Uh, that'll make you a better DM. If you could be perfect at one aspect of being a DM, what would it be? 
Perfect. Oh gosh. Um. I initially want to say rules. That's just like the very first thing in my head. It's just if I knew all the rules, that would be wonderful. Uh, all the spells from all the books, uh, all the spells, Unearthed Arcana, Homebrew. If I could just know all of that, like, snap, I think that would be perfect. But I think if I had to be perfect in anything, it would be storytelling. I think that is the most important part of D&D is your storytelling uh collaborative storytelling so i think that's what i would want to be perfect on i would want to have mastered working with people to create interesting stories that have um that have um power and, and punch and memorability and um everything in between <laughs> You know, that's a, that's a good question, Jurassic. Uh, so you're saying that my friends say that Dungeon Dragons is dumb, but they never played it. And some people have never even heard of it, but they say they hate it. You know what? I have definitely had this opinion from people. I've had people that have never tried a game of D&D, aren't really sure what D&D is, and they tell me that they hate it or they think they'll hate it. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, and it's an interesting take from them. Um, I definitely feel that way about some things. Uh, if you tell me about Final Fantasy, uh, the game, I don't think I'll like it. Uh, why do I think that? I don't know. I've I've seen some things. Uh, I've watched some gameplay, and I've seen what the media say about Final Fantasy, and I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't ring true to me. And I think that's exactly what's happening with them. They've heard a little bit of Dungeons Dragons. They've seen a little bit of Dungeons Dragons here and there on shows, and it doesn't ring true to them. And uh, to be honest, you, you just gotta see if they're willing to get in a game. If they're not willing to get into a game, then they're they're not willing to. Because yeah, if they if they aren't going to play, they'll never understand why it's so fun. Um, there was another good one in here. Uh, as a DM, how much do you feel you've changed and grown? And how much more do you think you'll change going into the future? I've changed a lot, a lot, a lot. So before becoming, before making Dean being a dungeon master, my job of September, 2020, I was playing about two games a week for about three, no, four years. And it was interesting. There was a lot of improv. There was a lot less story arcs. There was a lot less storytelling. Um, I found watching the YouTube, um, channels like Cinema Sins and those, uh, YouTube channels where they take movies and they tell you why the movie was bad or why the movie was good. I find those are very good and I've enjoyed them and they've helped my storytelling a lot. Um, watching how movies are made and what makes a good movie has helped my dungeon mastering a lot. Because uh, here at Nerdy Northerners, we're gonna we're going to be starting to release some Dungeons Dragons uh, skits and um, videos and uh, eventually a show. And so right now, I'm really working on trying to craft my storytelling through movies and videos. And so I've learned a lot, and I think I'm going to continue to grow exponentially. Because 
since September 2020, I've ran about 95 D&D games now. And when they say practice, 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 it's, it's not a lie. The more you practice with something, the better you're going to get. I feel more competent and more confident every day. Until about an hour before my session. Then it all goes out the window. <laughs> and then I'm terrified again. Ooh. Um, and I think one thing I'm going to be doing in the future is more, um, more artistry. More like uh, work with art. I am a terrible artist. But I want to find creative narratives for things to give my players, for things for my players to see. There, in storytelling, you want to show people rather than tell people. I could tell them about this crumpled, ugly-looking scroll that's rolled up with this blue twine, or I could give it to them. Isn't that so much cooler? And then one of them is probably likely, maybe me, but probably one of them is likely going to take it home, and that'll just be like a little D&D souvenir that they keep, probably throw in a box, and then like eight months later, pull it out, open the scroll, and they're like, I remember like eight levels ago. That's so adorable. Yeah, we killed this guy. <laughs> so, so I definitely want to be creating more physical art uh, to give away. I think I've done really well on my storytelling. I still need to improve, um, but I think I think the future is bright. Future is bright. Um, how do you handle? player requests um and in brackets especially if they ask for something something potentially game breaking like the deck of many things um i don't uh so player requests we'll start with that uh, i don't i don't mind giving in to player requests i i enjoy it uh if you want something and you're willing to put that effort in put that gold in um uh, uh, move here, do that training. I'm, I'm willing to give it to you. I, I am not. If you tell me yeah, your character wants this, I am going to take it, look at it, do my absolute best to do something, either this or a recreation or something I've modified and then give it back. And usually I prefer to work on that with the character or with the player because if I take their idea, warp it, and then I give it to them and they're like, oh, but this... This doesn't really work anymore. You've screwed up. You so sometimes it's just better just to work with the players. Say, what do you want? What are you looking for? Like, how do you how do you want? How fast do you want it? Get their expectations because you don't got to give it to them like that. You don't you don't gotta give them anything they ask. You they can ask you for a plus three longbow and and within like ten sessions and they're willing to spend ten thousand gold or like go and do any side mission they need to. They're willing. They're really willing. You can just say no they're low level and they don't they don't deserve it or it's not important just say no um or you can i like being sly i like being sly i don't say no I, i'm just like we'll see about it we'll see what i can do and then just don't just don't do it it's okay i'm, I'm sorry some sometimes what the players are asking for is is not the thing that you want to give them and that's fine you don't have to it's your story so um but you I would be more honest than less with these things. I find working with a player uh, usually gets you better results than doing it on your own and not consulting with a player. Because uh, I've definitely had it where I thought a player wanted to take their character one direction, and they did not. So I was giving them items to go down this path, 
and they were still trying to go down this path and they're like well since i got all this stuff i may as well go down this path but they would rather have been doing something over here so i had to switch up a lot of their gear and i had to change a few things um so that i could help them get on the path they wanted to be on i want them to be on the path they want to be on i want them to have fun so work with your players on their items if they have if they want something too overpowered just tell them tell them it's overpowered you're not gonna do that that's fine uh deck of many things uh how to do with items that might break your game i as a dungeon master have a firm belief that there is nothing you can do to break my campaign uh you can ruin your fun you can ruin um your story but my story doesn't stop uh as the dungeon master i have the entire world to control i i am controlling the villain the the media the good guys the mediators everybody so when your characters die a terrible terrible death um the story goes on the story goes on and uh i guess you could end the campaign there and begin a new campaign that would be considered ruining the campaign but i find that you're not really ruining my fun because we'll run a new campaign. Oh, hell yeah, I got so many ideas for a new campaign. You're ruining your fun. Um, so I don't mind it because I am not going to allow the game to get wrecked. I am going to fudge. I am going to lie. I am going to steal. I am going to manipulate till it works. And I'll admit that to my players. To be a DM, you kind of have to be a little bit of a shady motherfucker because uh, you're lying to people's faces for three hours in a row and then it, during after game talk you um have to be a bad guy and plot against them like uh you're kind of a you're kind of a, a shady person so when when people are pulling cards i'll have them roll for it and well i shouldn't talk about that i'm not talking about that but if you have an item where um there's a way that it can destroy the campaign just don't allow this to happen do anything in your power to not allow it to happen and you have a lot of power um you can have an npc uh you can have the item stolen um have them killed by some if you have a game breaking item that is a very powerful item why are people not looking for it why do people not know where it is at all times why is there not a magical location tracker on that item why do people just not know why is there not some lich out there that has been scrying upon um, this tavern for years and sees it and then sends his minions out? There's, there, there's no way that your can, can, campaign can be broken unless you allow it to be broken. So if they get something that's too overpowered, take it. Take it back. Uh, have them all um, nearly killed in the night. And they awake tied up without any gear. Uh, or even just take that one item and leave a clue so that they can go and track. Like, let them, let them have a chance. Don't just take it and be like, it's gone. Fuck you. Kind of mean. Um, but like, you'll be like, you can leave like a calling card or like some kind of clue that leads them to like this group. And they like, look how powerful this group is. And they're like, you know what? <laughs> they can keep the MacGuffin. I'm good. I am going to not die today. I uh, like there are there are many ways that you can prevent your campaign from being broken. So I'm not worried about the deck of many things. Um if you die, you die. That is why you have secondary characters. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, actually, since September, I have eight character deaths so far, so I'm looking for that ninth. Just going through here, man. Seeing if anyone has any questions in chat. But thank you guys for coming out. Uh, I think I'm going to do uh, a bit of streaming either. Uh, I think after the community night with Jake. So if you guys come and check out community night with Jake at nine, I'm going to probably be doing some streaming afterwards. Celebrating a bit more of a birthday. I'm finally having all of my hangover effects. And um, what can I talk to you guys about? Uh, everyone went upstairs. So actually, Jake, this is, my, this, this is your cue. You're watching me. Hey, buddy. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, there, 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 there's so much power that you have as a DM. I, I don't think that you really should have to fear. Um, I think as a DM, you're going to be scared to use your powers, and it's a scary thing. Um, when you do realize that the the story. The campaign, the player's happiness, your happiness, um, the items they get, the NPCs, everything is all in your hands, and you have the control, you have the power to make it great or fuck it all up. It, it's stressful. It's kind of a stressful feeling. But with that power, just comes, I was going to say responsibility, but no, no, no. What I'm trying to say is you have so much power, use it. Use it because that is what the Wizards of the Coast wanted you to do as the Dungeon Master was take that power and be the all-powerful being. Uh, it doesn't mean that you, you... And it's because... Think about it like this. You have the realm. Then you have the gods and deities of that realm. Then you have the multi-realms. And then you have you. You puppet everything. And there's all these multiple different realms in this one realm, in this one country, down to a dog on the ground. You control it all if you so choose. So use it. Use that power. Don't be afraid to have a god do something. Uh, don't be afraid to have realms uh, cross over. Don't be afraid to do whatever you need to do to get the result you need to get. Um, yeah, I, I just, you have all that power and it's shame when you don't use it. Uh, but that will end my Q and A today, guys. I really appreciate you guys all coming out and joining me for my birthday. And I thank all my players and you guys in chat for asking me questions today. Uh, we'll be back next week where we'll be having a interview with, uh, Chris Rowan and we'll be... Uh, talking a very interesting topic. I forget this time. But we'll set you guys at Community Night with Jake uh, at 9 p.m. Until then, take care.